Hey guys, it's Allie. Welcome back to Infertile AF, the podcast. This is episode 137 called Sophie. Infertile AF is supported by First Republic Bank. With a best-in-class banking app that allows you to bank anywhere, anytime, and a dedicated personal banker when you need one-on-one service, First Republic is uniquely positioned to offer the best of both worlds. With this combination of personal attention and convenience, it's no wonder that First Republic Bank has a client satisfaction rating two times the industry average. So whether you're opening a personal line of credit or planning for your retirement, you can count on First Republic to be there for you every step of the way. Visit firstrepublic.com today to learn more. That's firstrepublic.com. Member FDIC Equal Housing Lender. I'm so excited to tell you guys about the sponsor for today's episode, Bios Fertility Institute. Bios is a different fertility clinic experience built on a foundation of patient-centered care, evidence-based medicine, and innovative technology. With clinic locations throughout the country and patients from around the globe, the Bios Fertility Institute team understands the challenges of infertility. Their physicians are board-certified and fellowship-trained reproductive endocrinologists and infertility specialists with a passion for helping patients realize their dreams of parenthood. As a patient, you'll notice the difference from your very first phone call to the team celebration of your positive pregnancy test and everything in between. Bios prides itself on its individualized patient plans that are best suited for your emotional, physical, and financial needs. The organization is committed to their patients and the fertility community in general, and to that end, offers great resources and education on Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, and other social media channels. Look for Bios Fertility, as well as a patient-centered blog on their website at biosfertility.com. To learn more about Bios Fertility Institute, take advantage of that high-quality, incredible education and fertility information, or to schedule your first appointment, visit biosfertility.com. That's V-I-O-S-F-E-R-T-I-L-I-T-Y dot com. Thanks, Bios. Okay, guys, before we get started, I just wanted to remind you that Fertility Rally Live is happening this Saturday, October 23rd. It is a virtual event. You don't have to come on Saturday if you are a ticket holder. We'd love for you to come live because we do lots of giveaways and things throughout the day, and we have a happy hour at the end of the day. But if you can't come live, you can still have access to all of our content for 30 days afterwards. We have 30 plus speakers. It's more than 12 hours of entertainment and education and empowerment. We are covering so many different topics, including coping after multiple miscarriages, IVF nurses tell all, infertility and mental health, male factor infertility, all about endo, pregnancy and motherhood after infertility, environmental toxins. IVF Abroad, the list goes on and on and on. Our two keynotes are Jacqueline Mish and Camille Guadique, who have both amazing, amazing stories. Jacqueline is in particular going through a surrogacy journey right now. Camille is a donor mama. So they're both really moving and really inspiring. So we would love, love, love to see you guys there. We've been pouring our hearts into this event, planning it for months, and it's going to be our best one yet. So check it out. You can get tickets at, go through Instagram. There's a link in my bio at Fertility Rally, or you can go to Infertile AF Stories Instagram. There's a link in the bio there as well. And if you want 50% off your ticket, use code Allie, A-L-I at checkout. Again, it's Fertility Rally on Saturday, this Saturday. Use code Allie, A-L-I for 50% off your ticket. I cannot wait to see you guys there. All right. Let me tell you about my friend, Sophie today, who is my guest. Sophie is one of the few people I have actually met IRL through this infertility Instagram community. You'll hear us talk about that a little bit, but her story is really incredible. She is now a coach at InCircle Fertility because of everything that she went through. So she's going to talk about all of it, starting with how her struggle with anorexia in her twenties and earlier may have played a role in her ability to get pregnant. She's also going to talk about miscarriage, the two DNCs she had, hysteroscopy kind of gone wrong, and then what happened to bring her to her two beautiful daughters. So without further ado, this is Sophie's infertility story.
right. Sophie, it's so good to talk to you. We are friends. We are you, we met in person. We are IRL friends. We are IRL friends. You, you came to my new house in New Jersey and I was so excited. I was like pacing around waiting for you to pull into the driveway. And like, my husband's like, oh my God, it looks like you're like waiting for like a date to pick you up. That is precisely how it felt. That's how I felt. It was so fun to see you in person. And we drank some wine and we had a really nice time. So hi, it's so good to talk to you. And that night I was like, wait, I haven't had you on my podcast yet. So let's do this. So here you are. So thrilled to be here. I definitely feel like it's one of those long time listener, first time caller situations. (laughs) (laughs) I love it. So let's start with you and your husband. When did you guys meet? And like how long before you guys started to talk about family and building a family? Okay. Well, so we met, oh, this is where things get tricky in my confused mind. I think we met about 10 years ago and then we pretty much started talking about it right away. So I'm now 43. He's 10 years older than me. So 10 years Mm -hmm. ago, you do the math. We both knew that we wanted families. I think we both knew that forever. So it was pretty much, it felt like a foregone conclusion for both of us. Once we quickly realized that's where our relationship was headed. It was like, okay, of course this is next. Mm-hmm. And did you anticipate like having any issues or anything once you started to try? You know, I always, it's funny because I've heard other people say this on your podcast and it's really true for me as well. I had some sort of premonition that I was going to have issues mm-hmm. and I think it created anxiety for me from a pretty young age, younger than, younger than I would have expected. Like the minute I turned 30, this was before I met my husband. I was like, Oh my God, it's time. It's time. And I was actually in a serious relationship and I ended up breaking up that relationship because he wasn't ready to have kids. And I was like, Mm -hmm. all of a sudden feeling like I was behind the times. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, I just always, I, I, there are two reasons why I had that premonition. Number one is that I had an eating disorder when I was in my late teens, early twenties. And Mm -hmm. so I think I always sort of had in the back of my head, like, was that going to create reproductive problems for me? I just didn't know. Mm -hmm. And then also I'm just a highly anxious person. (laughs) So I think I always, I, I always, always have been. So I think I just, and t- I'm the type of person to anticipate problems before they arise. What kind of, what eating disorder was it? I had anorexia and I was oh actually gosh. hospitalized for it. This I'm was so when I was like around 2021. 20, Thank you. It was very traumatic. Yeah. It impacted my whole family, of course. Mm-hmm. Um, and it went on for years before it really escalated to the point that it did ultimately. And I'm so grateful that you know, I'm in recovery from that. It's been many years, mm-hmm. it's, you know, it lingers as I'm sure anyone with an eating disorder will tell you it lingers, but um, yeah. I've definitely moved through it and passed it, um, wow. but it really impacts your body um, very sure. much. So, and so I think I always wondered, and even I remember doctors saying little comments to me during that time, that that was, that could be a repercussion. Really? So it was, yeah, time, you're so into it that you're like, I'm not thinking about that. Oh, right. not at all. And plus, I mean, I was, and plus my age didn't lend itself to be thinking about it that much either. I mean, I was like sure. 19, 20, 21. It just was exactly. not on the radar. Right, right, right. I've, I dabbled in bulimia in college. <laughs> yeah. I wasn't like a hardcore, you know, but definitely had, you know, disordered eating issues and things like that. So I feel for you. That's, and the fact that you are recovering is so incredible. So yeah. yeah, it's absolutely. anyone who goes through it will tell you it is a huge mountain to hurdle over, but yeah. when, you get, when you get on the other side, it's, it can be a really beautiful thing. Yes, exactly. Okay. So tell me more about, okay. So that was your past. And then when you guys actually did kind of decide, okay, let's actually hunker down and like try for a baby. Yeah. So, I mean, I feel like I was, I was kind of on Ben, Ben is my husband. I was on Ben's case for a guy probably from the get-go, right? Like, okay, if this is where we're going, when is this going to happen? And I really wanted to start trying well before we were married. Again, I just had this thing about my clock ticking and about getting older. It wasn't even like all my friends were necessarily having kids. Some of them were for sure, but I just had that internal pressure happening. Mm-hmm. Um, and so he, at one point agreed, like, yes, we can definitely start trying before we get married. Mm-hmm. Did his so, age come into play at all? I think so. I mean, yeah. he definitely, you know, he was what at the time, like mid forties or early forties, but yeah. So I think that was relevant for him as well, for sure. And I think we just mm-hmm. felt like, all right, if that's where we're headed, then why not start now? There's no need for it to like go chronologically in some other way. 
And so we did start trying and I actually started, I actually got pregnant pretty much right away when we first started trying. And that was, I would say like six to eight months before our wedding, which was in August of 2014, our wedding was. I got pregnant pretty quickly. I was Uh really, really ecstatic. I immediately was like Googling maternity wedding gowns. It was like, like, it's happening. It's on. Did you tell people? I told my, I think I just told my family and maybe a few of my close friends. Mm -hmm. Um, And I went in for, I think my first ultrasound was seven or eight weeks. And I went in, no, my first ultrasound was seven weeks because I went in and heard a heartbeat. He even like, I remember the doctor printing out the little, you know, sonogram picture and being like, congratulations, you know, um, for some reason I went back the following week. I don't know why. Cause that's not normally what would happen. Maybe it's because I was over 35 already. I don't know, mm-hmm. but I went back the following week and it was like the ultrasound tech and, you know, I'll never forget that moment. Like nobody forgets that moment right. where, you know everything's hunky dory. And then like her face, you're just watching her face. You're watching the the doctor's face and like her face goes still. And then it's like all in slow motion, like you're underwater. Um, and, and at the time I didn't mention this, but the time Ben was living in California and I was in Washington DC. So I was by myself at that appointment. Um, and you know, she said like, get dressed and go see, you know, I'm going to go get the doctor. And Long story short, the heartbeat had stopped. I didn't want to believe it. So my mom ended up, my mom was in Pennsylvania. She ended up coming to DC and I insisted on going to a different provider to get a different ultrasound a few days later, just to make oh, sure. Wow. Yeah. Um, and you know, that, that provider confirmed and I ended up having a DNC very shortly after that. I think my mom just stayed and went with me. Yeah. It's been a rough couple of days between those appointments. Of course. It's like though, you know, those waiting periods where everything's up in the air and you just don't know, and you're trying to hold on to hope and -hmm. you're, well, if you're me, you're like Googling up a storm and trying to find any anecdote that you can, that this could go in the direction you want it to go, even though all the evidence is to the contrary. Absolutely. Yes. So I got a DNC and physically recovered pretty decently, but I feel like that's when my fertility journey really started was, Mm -hmm. you know, having that loss. Cause it, even though it was on my radar that things weren't necessarily going to be linear for me, I still was really shocked and, and just devastated by the whole thing. Yeah. Um, How did Ben feel? Same. He felt the same, but he, he's a pretty optimistic person. And he was very much just like, these things happen. It's terrible, but this, this is something that happens, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and it doesn't have any implication for what's going to happen in the future. Basically mm-hmm. that's very much his position in general. So I felt comforted by that shortly after that, I had my sort of bachelorette weekend and it was at a, it was at a shore house and it was all my different girlfriends from all my walks, different walks of life. Mm-hmm. And that scene is imprinted in my brain forever because a lot of them didn't know one another. And the only thing they had in common was their kids, either they were pregnant or they had kids and I had just miscarried. And so all they talked about all weekend long was kids and pregnancy and breastfeeding and pumping. And I was like going out of my mind and I had a a few friends there who were commiserating with me like, yeah, this is really intense, but I didn't feel like I could, I didn't feel like I could say or do anything about it. And it made sense that they were all bonding over this because they didn't necessarily have a through line other than kids, you know, Mm -hmm. and pregnancy, but it just sucked so hard. And it definitely was like a, (laughs) definitely was a four, what's the word, a forbearing of what was to come, I will say. Yes, Um, absolutely. Oh, that would have been rough. It was, it really was. It definitely cast a power over that whole weekend. Mm-hmm. I love all those women to death. I still do, but that was a really, really hard moment. Of course. And, and it was my first big taste of, it was my first big taste of that, that element of the infertility experience, right? Where you're comparing yourself to other people and feeling yeah. so left out. And so, and it, and it, yeah, I think it's so hard too, when it's like, for them, it's nothing, right? You know, like, I mean, not nothing. to say on behalf of your friends, but most women just get pregnant and it's not a big thing and they haven't struggled. And, you know, they're talking it it's just such a different playing, like such an unlevel playing field. And it's just so not fair. Like that's how it I is always not thought. fair. It is not fair. Yeah. Period. Like end of story. Right. Mm-hmm. So what, okay. What happened after that weekend? 
So after that weekend, I think we just, you know, put everything on pause. Our wedding was at the end of August. We were pretty much ready to try again. And then we did start trying pretty much right after we got married. And I did end up getting pregnant again, Mm -hmm. I would say relatively easily. And that pregnancy was my first daughter, who's now six and a half. And, you know, all seemed like, all right, good, normal, got that miscarriage out of the way. (laughs) You know, this is now going to be my life and my future. Again, like my biological clock was so loud in my, in my ear. I was, I guess I had her when I was 36 or 37 and I had it in my head that I, I wanted to have a bunch of kids. I mean, I'm one of four kids. Uh, All of us are really close. It was just my assumption that I was going to have a big family because I came from a big family and that was what I knew. Mm -hmm. And I loved it. I really did. And I still do. And so I was like, well, we better get going if we're going to have such a big family, you know, like this needed to happen yesterday. Right. So I think I, I think it was, my daughter was probably like around a year and a half when I was like, all right, we got to get this party started again. So we started trying again. Once again, I got pregnant pretty quickly. And I think it was at my first, I don't think I ever heard a heartbeat. So at my first appointment, they were like, okay, you're your dating, your dates look a little bit off. So we're not sure, you know, it's like measuring small, but why don't you come back in a week? That whole come back in a week thing, Allie. Oh my God. It is. I hate it so much. I can't even tell you. So come back in a week. And so I spent that week, same exact thing as last time, just like hoping and praying that they were wrong. But by the way, when they say you had your dates wrong, I'm like, I don't effing have my dates wrong. Like I am so type A, I have this all down to a science. There's just Mm -hmm. no way, right. There's no way that I screwed this up. So I came back a week later and it was a different doctor. It wasn't my actual OB, but he, you know, he sat down, he did an ultrasound and he sat down with my husband and I in the office and he like had us write down all the dates and like, just, he was like clearly just doing this for our benefit. I think he wanted to just demonstrate to us that they had like really thought through all the eventualities and there's no question that this was not a viable pregnancy and it wasn't. So I, I was beside myself and I knew that I wanted to have a DNC again. You know, they give you the options. They gave me the options the first time around too. And just for me, I was like, I just want something really decisive. Like, I don't mm-hmm. want to wait around. I don't want there to be anything unknown. Like, I want to have a date where I go in, get this taken care of, and I just want to move on. Like, that's mm-hmm. my anxiety. That's my type A. Yeah. It's just like sense. take action and move on. So that's what we did. We did a, I did another DNC. This one was just in my doctor's office, my OB's office. She didn't even do full anesthesia, which is, they did for my first one. Mm was not comfortable. And so, yeah, once again, it's like, she did the DNC. She's like, okay, you can pretty much start like, once you get your period, you can pretty much start trying again right away, which was absolutely my plan. And then after that DNC, my period just never came. Like it was weeks and it was weeks and then it was months. And I went back to her and was like, I don't, I went back to her a couple of times and was like, I'm not getting my period. She's like, you need to just be patient. And finally it had been like two or three months. And I was like, look, something is just not right here. You know, right. I wasn't bleeding, but I wasn't getting my period. So she ended up doing a saline sonogram and she was like, oh yeah, I see that there's retained tissue in there. Like that's why you're not getting a period. And we're going to have to do another DNC, which is mm-hmm. like when you're oh fancy and you're like wanting to get on with things, anything like that is just like, I was like, I cannot believe. And I talked to so many people in that moment. Like I love my OB. She's not in practice anymore, but I was like just wanting to give her the benefit of the doubt. And everyone was like, yes, this is something that happens. It wasn't like negligence on her part. You know, retained right. tissue is a thing, right? Yeah. Okay, fine. So then I do another DNC with a hysteroscopy, you know, where they go in with the scope. So she could be like a little more precise. It was full anesthesia this time. Uh-huh. And then I figured okay, now we're really good to go. I did some follow-up appointments. Everything looked fine. That was the extent of what she did, or or that was the extent of her treatment, I will say. And then we started trying again, I think shortly after that. And then like nothing was happening again. I think I was getting my period, but I just wasn't getting pregnant. So that went on for about six months. And then I I immediately was like, all right, it's, I'm not waiting any longer. I I need to figure, I, I need to like, up level this basically. So we ended up getting some referrals for different REs and I ended up picking someone based on 
some friends of ours who had both had success with this one doctor. And he happened to be really close to where I live. He happens to be really well known. He like, I got his book at the time. It's like a manual on, on IVF. This doctor is very, very well known and very well regarded. So I felt like I was in really good hands. He was very warm. He, I really had a good relationship with him. And I, so I first went in to see him with my husband, you know, just do the consult. And he was like, everything looks good. Like all the, we did the HSG test. We did a bunch of other tests. He said, everything looks pretty good. Why don't we start with some IUIs, which is what we ended up doing. Mm -hmm. Um, We did three IUIs. None of them worked. And there was one appointment after that third IUI that there was a different doctor that I'd end up seeing. And he just, it was a doctor in the practice, but he just looked at me and he was like, you know, you need, you just need to do IVF, like basically like stop wasting your time. Mm -hmm. And I was so hesitant in that moment as was my husband. And my initial doctor was not wanting to push that clearly on us, which I appreciate, but it, I, my husband, and I looked at him in that moment. We we're like, all right, let's, we're just going to go for it. Let's go for it. We're going to do it. Right. And he's like, no looking back, right? Like no give backs, we're just going to do it. So we decided to go for it. And, you know, my, my original doctor who was just off that day was like, all right, great, let's do it. Like I didn't bring it up before because I didn't know if you were ready, but great decision. Let's move on. So we ended up doing a round of IVF and we got three embryos from that round. We genetically tested the embryos. Two of them came back normal. One of them had trisomy. And we were like, you know, like anyone else in that situation, it's like, I wanted to have this, I wanted to have like an embarrassment of riches of embryos. Right. I wanted to have seven. I wanted to have 10. Right. And I was like, okay, two. And I remember the doctor reassuring us like two, that's actually great for your age and for what you got. Like two is amazing. And I was like, okay, I guess if you say so, two is amazing. So we transferred one of the embryos and it just didn't take, um, which I have to say, was almost as devastating as my miscarriages. Um, yeah. Cause it's another loss. It's a huge loss. And I feel like it's something that is so hard to understand unless you've been in that moment mm-hmm. that like the stakes are so high. You've put so much into this. Right. And yep. just to have this supposedly beautiful, perfect embryo, just do nothing like right. zero. It was so shocking. Like anyone else, you go into this, you're like, well, I'm going to do all these perfect steps that the doctor tells me to do. And then I'm going to walk out of here with the baby because that's how it works. That's how RBF works. Right. And, you know, we did our follow-up with him and he was like, I just, it's not like he had an explanation, you know, because nobody really has an explanation in that scenario. Mm -hmm. He's like, we did everything we can, but there's this gap. It's like, almost like there's this knowledge gap, this scientific gap when it comes to what happens after transfer, right. To actually right. make this embryo implant. It's like right. to get from point A to point B after transfer, it's like, they just don't know. And mm-hmm. that not knowing is utterly crazy making for someone like me who just, I'm like, well, the science, what's the science, what's the medicine, you know? And it's, he's right. like, I've been doing this for 30 years or whatever it is. And he's like, we know so much, we've made so many advances, but we just, we cannot make that embryo implant and, and grow. We can't, we cannot force that part to happen which is a really tough pill to swallow, no pun intended. It is. Absolutely. I think a lot of people listening can relate to that. So he was like, well, why don't we do, you know what I want to do, do, do. So he's like, why don't we do at the time he did this thing called an EFT, which is basically the same as an ERA, but it stands for endometrial function test. There's this doctor at Yale who like trademarked this different kind of ERA. So for some reason, my doctor did that mm-hmm. kind, did that procedure as opposed to the ERA. It's the same in the sense that you do, you go through a whole mock transfer cycle and they do a biopsy. He, he did a biopsy for this 10 days apart. Um, and even doing all of that, Allie, as you know, it's like, it's just so much. You're like, you want to move on. You want to like make this happen. And every single thing just feels like it's right. holding you back. And meanwhile, everybody, you know, around you is like seemingly getting pregnant and like moving forward. And you're just like stuck in this holding pattern. You're stuck in this holding pattern and there's not a damn thing that you can do about it. Mm -hmm. There's no amount of effort that you can put in to make it different. Right. Which is, which is really, which is really unfamiliar to some of us, right? Like you're just used to doing the things that you're supposed to do and getting the results that you want to get. And all of a sudden you're like, oh, this is, but it didn't stop me from feeling like a failure. I mean, I knew it was out of my control, but 
even knowing that didn't stop me from feeling like I was doing something wrong or like this was my fault. Mm-hmm. Um, even though the doctor was sitting there telling me like he couldn't even make it happen for me. Absolutely. So while I was waiting for the results of that test, that EFT test, a few very instrumental things happened. I was seeing a therapist at the time and she had kind of, she specializes in infertility and she had kind of thrown out the idea of a second opinion. And I was very anti getting a second opinion. I had really established a rapport with this doctor. I felt really connected to him. I felt like he was super competent and I just, a second opinion to me felt like it was admitting defeat almost, which is totally screwed up. And I, I, I acknowledge that now, mm. but at the time it felt like it was like getting a second opinion was making some sort of statement about the lack of faith that I had in my current doctor, which may or may not have been true, but it's just like I had, to, I wasn't ready. Yeah. Um, that makes perfect sense to me. I feel like you have to be ready to, to take that step. Right. You have to be ready. And it also, you have to hear it from the right person. And apparently my therapist was not the right person. I think my husband was ready for a second opinion as well. Uh-huh. Um, but then it was right around that time where I also met Abby, who is my business partner. Now we are fertility coaches and I can talk about that a little bit later, yes. but love she, you, Abs. <laughs> love you, Ab. Shout out to abs. So she we connected right around that time and she was going to a different doctor. She had not yet experienced her own success, but she was raving about this other doctor that she had sort of found not that long prior. Right. She's like, why don't you just make an appointment with this specific doctor? Ironically, the doctor that she had was in the same practice as the doctor that my therapist had recommended. Mm-hmm. But the one that my therapist had recommended, Abby was like, no, don't, don't do that. Don't do that. Go mm-hmm. to this woman. Right. Mm-hmm. And everything she said about this woman sounded amazing. So I was like, okay, fine. I'll just meet with her, you know? So we did a consult with this other doctor, then I both went and she was very thorough, is very thorough. And she was like, okay, you've done this and you've done this and you've done this. And she's like, okay. And you had those two DNCs back to back. She's like, well, have you had a hysteroscopy done? Which is again, like that procedure where you go in with a scope and it gives you a much more thorough view of the uterus than a, than an ultrasound or than a saline sonogram. Yep. And I was like, of course I did a hysteroscopy. Like this other doctor did everything under the sun. And she's like, okay, we'll just get the records sent over or whatever. So I called the, my, my doctor's office, no hysteroscopy. Like that yeah. procedure had never been done. And you which, thought that they had? I guess I, uh, you know, at that point you have so many tests that are done and you're sure. so kind of, kind of confused about it. And you don't, you're yeah. just like doing whatever the doctor tells you to do basically. Exactly. Yeah. And putting your trust in them and assuming that they have all their eyes dotted and their T's crossed. Like, of course, that's their job, right? Like, I don't know as the patient. Like, I don't know what I don't know. Right. Plus I wouldn't uh, know like, was, is hysteroscopy like coming into this cold? Like, is that a blood test? Is it like right. a monogram or is exactly. it like a Wanda thing? Like, exactly. Like, I mean, I, I don't think I'd ever heard that word before she said that to me. Exactly. I just was like, of course he did it because he's so professional. Yeah. Um, so I was very taken aback when I was like, okay, he didn't do it, but, um, whatever. And she was like, okay, well, I really think that's something you need to get done before you do another transfer with this final embryo that you have. And I think I kind of dragged my feet, but I was like, okay, fine. I'll just do this one thing. And I did a price comparison between this other clinic and my old clinic. And I only chose the new clinic and the new, the second opinion doctor, because it was cheaper because Mm -hmm. how she did it was cheaper. That's literally the only, the only reason I chose her. And I, I still kind of felt like I was cheating on my first doctor, Mm -hmm. but I told him I was doing it and he was like, fine, whatever, you know? And so I ended up, this was all during the waiting period to see, you know, to get the results from that, that endometrial function test. So I ended up doing a hysteroscopy with a new doctor and she found something. She went in and was like, I see something that looks like either scarring or a septum. A septum is like a congenital abnormality in your uterus. And I was like, well, how could it be a septum? Because I did have one successful pregnancy. And she's like, that could have been a fluke. Like the septum could be the reason why you're having trouble with implantation mm-hmm. or it's scarring from those repeat DNCs or even like the initial DNC. Right. I didn't know at the time that DNCs, you know, your DNCs are a scraping, like they're, they're scraping right. your lining a bit. So I guess there is a chance they can cause scarring. Um, right. Right. Until I got way. into this world, I didn't know that either. Yeah. Yeah. And I certainly didn't know at the time that like having a repeat DNC had any 
And look, I probably would have chosen to do it anyway, honestly, but that can be, that can be a byproduct of it. So basically she's like, all I need to do is go in and do a little snip. Basically she, she described it like she was going to go in with a pair of scissors and just like snip something. Mm -hmm. I was like, okay, that sounds simple enough. She's like, it's very straightforward. So then I went back to have this procedure done where she does a little snip. She's like, everything went perfectly. So this is almost like two years after originally walking into the initial consult with that first fertility doctor. Right. Right. Uh And my plan was she was going to do this. She was going to do this treatment for me, this procedure for me. And then I was going to go back to my original doctor and have that final embryo transferred. I wasn't going to do another retrieval necessarily. So she did that snip. She said it went great. Um, and she basically said, all right, we just need to get you healed and then you can go back and do the transfer. And the healing was putting me on a really high dose of estrogen, which is basically birth control to like get your lining to get your lining to start building up. Mm-hmm. And I was going to come in, I think once a week and she was going to check it. So I came in once and she said, okay, it looks good. Just come in again at some point. I don't know if it was weekly or every couple of days. So I came in again and then that second appointment, it was a different doctor. She wasn't there. And that doctor did the ultrasound and he was like, oh, it looks like you have a follicle that's about to drop, right? Like you're about to ovulate. Mm-hmm. And I was so confused. I, I, at that point, I didn't know that much about <laughs> reproduction right. or my body, yeah. but I, I knew enough to be like, how am I going to ovulate when I'm on all this estrogen? That makes no sense to me. And he was like, I guess it can happen, you know? <laughs> Oh my gosh. He was like, he's like, I think it's going to drop in the next couple of days. And I was like, okay. So then I remember like coming home and saying to Ben, like he said, I'm about to ovulate and kind of like trying to decide for myself, whether we should have sex or not, because I didn't even want to have it hanging over my head, that it could be a possibility. Mm -hmm. It's almost better sometimes to just not do it so that it's not even on the radar. Do you know what I mean? Like then I'll know for sure. I don't have to stress about it. Long story short, I was like, all right, fine. Let's just, let's, you know how sexy sex is when you're thinking about conception. So, um, so, so sexy. All right, fine. I'm about to ovulate. Let's do this. I went back to her maybe a week later and she, she did a blood test to check my progesterone. And she was like, okay, if you hadn't ovulated, I would have put you on progesterone, but it looks like you did ovulate. So I'm not going to put you on progesterone. Basically just wait for your period to come and then give me a call. Let me know but then you should be good to go to start with this transfer cycle. And basically my period never came. Uh, And that is because I was pregnant with my second daughter. (laughs) um, Who's now two and a half. Oh um, my God. Who basically was like conceived while I was on birth control, like after the while recovering from this crazy procedure. Um, How, 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 I don't know. I, I genuinely, (laughs) I do not know. I do not know. And more so it's just the entire thing is so confounding to me because I'm like, I do not know why I got pregnant under those circumstances. I do not know why my original doctor didn't do a hysteroscopy. I do not know why any of it. Right. And that it's like so much the summary of infertility, I feel like is that 90% 90% of the time, you don't know. Like you don't yeah. know why things are happening when they're happening. You only have your, your best guess. Right. You can only say like, all right, I'm trying to connect all these dots and all these dots make up this picture. But I, I can't, you can't actually prove anything. You cannot right. prove that I like, because afterwards, of course, I was, I was going back and forth in my head about like my initial doctor missing this really critical thing. And like, he could have saved me so much time and so much money and so much heartache. Yeah. If he had done this procedure up front. But I also couldn't, I couldn't prove that that's why everything worked out the way that it did. It could have just been some crazy coincidence. Like, is that possible? Yes, absolutely. And even the doctors don't know. You know, I've learned that through so many events we've had with Fertility Rally and, you know, interviewing these experts and doctors and, Sometimes they're like, you know, we're, we're human. We don't, we don't know. Sometimes we don't have the answers all the time, which is just interesting to remember, you know, these doctors are obviously doing their best, but they are human beings and everybody's so different and they can't do everything for everybody. So you kind of, it goes, kind of goes back to like self-advocating, right? Like you, like you did proactively, like, did we take this test? Did we do this test? Like if you'd never would have questioned that 
you might not never would have known. I never would have known. And, you know, Abby and I always joke because she sent me to this doctor that like, I should have named my daughter after her because I, if it hadn't been for getting the second opinion, I have no question in my mind that I would still be trying I would wow. still be trying to this day, like three years later, or more than three years. Yeah. There's, there's no doubt in my head that I would still be trying and that more than likely I wouldn't, it wouldn't have been successful because certainly if I'd stayed with my original doctor, then this diagnosis never would have been discovered. Mm-hmm. Um, yes. Impossible to say for sure, but that is, that is my sense of, that's my sense oh my of it. Like, so what, when you found out that you were pregnant, what was your reaction? Oh my God. I mean, it, you know, pregnancy after infertility, it's no, it's no walk in the park. Um, and I was of course elated and I was also super anxious having, you know, had multiple miscarriages and just being an anxious person anyway, you know, something I thought about a lot during that time is just like how much everything I had just gone through like amplified these parts of my personality that I already had, like the anxiety and like my control issues and, you know, all of those things, they just didn't bode well mm-hmm. for, and I was, I mean, I was even anxious during my first pregnancy because I had the one miscarriage, right? Like I was on, once you have a loss, it's like, it just steals, it steals your innocence in a way that unfortunately can kind of just, it just like, it contaminates the pregnancy experience a little bit because it's Absolutely. so hard to just feel that unbridled sense of joy and excitement and optimism. Like I was always waiting for the other shoe to drop. I mean, every appointment, every, it's like I expected something bad to happen because that had been my experience for so long that you go in and they're like, sorry, you don't, you have two few follicles. Sorry, your blood test isn't, you know, blah, blah, blah. Sorry that, sorry that. Sorry, you need to wait a cycle. And it's just like, I, I didn't believe it for most of that pregnancy. I mean, I don't think I, I certainly didn't, feel any sense of relaxation until like at least halfway through, if not more. Yeah. Um, Somebody the other day said to me, pregnancy after loss, you just, you lose your confidence, mm -hmm. any sense of confidence that you had before. And I was like, yeah, that's such a good way to put it. It's such a good way to put it. It's so true. Confidence in the outcome, confidence in your body, confidence in just that things are going to go the way that everyone tells you that they should, or that you see them going for people all around you. Like, I don't understand why those people are walking around without, you know, a care in the world. Right. And I'm over here, like expecting, expecting everything to implode any minute now. Right. Um, and it's too bad. It's like, it's such a shame, right? Because I just feel like it could be, it could be such a different experience and it's not, and that's okay. That's okay. Because that's just, that's just what it is after you've gone through loss and trauma. Um, right. But it is a shame. I have to say it's that's that the loss of innocence is kind of also a loss. It's a loss to grieve in and of itself. Yes. That's so true. Wow. So, okay. So that's kind of the end of your infertility story. Right. But then do you want yeah, to talk I mean, about how you transitioned into coaching and what you and Abby are doing? Yes, absolutely. Unless um, anything else you want to add, of course. I mean, I think the only thing I want to add is just the whole experience of secondary infertility, you know, as you know, from your own journey, it's such a unique and different experience, right? And there's no comparison. There's no pain comparison or, or you know, pain Olympics, as we like to say. Yep. Um, there's no winner. It's more just, it's so important to me to communicate to sort of like the world, what it's like, because so much of, I think, working through grief is just feeling seen and feeling understood. Mm -hmm. And there were so many parts of my journey that were so painful because of the secondary infertility component that is unique to that experience, right? Like having to be around friends and family that have kids and go to birthday parties and go to daycare or preschool and, you know, be like forced into all these situations that I feel like maybe you could avoid if you didn't have kids at all. But I felt like I was, I was like a prisoner to them sort of, and I couldn't, I couldn't bow out and I couldn't avoid them. Yeah. Um, That's a good way to describe secondary. Yeah. And yet all they did was just remind me of what I didn't have and what I was scared that I would never have. 
And it, it really, I mean, that part was so heartbreaking to me. Like I only, I almost only felt safe around the people who either didn't have kids or only had one kid. Mm-hmm. Anyone who was pregnant with a second child or having a second child or a third child made me feel so unsafe. It like brought up too many emotions in me. And I feel like that, that experience is so much of what formed kind of the decisions that I made after coming out on the other side, because it was so hard to explain it at the time. And I didn't really have anyone to explain it to. I did a lot of writing. Um, yeah. I didn't really know anyone during that time who was going through a similar experience. And so yeah. it just felt like such a pariah, honestly. Yeah. I think a lot of secondary infertility people, and as you know, I had that as well. You know, you feel like, where do I fit in here? Do I fit in here? Like, I know people think I'm probably being greedy mm-hmm. by wanting another kid. Or, you know, I remember I felt so insecure because I felt like people were judging me. And, you know, nobody ever really blatantly said anything to me, but I know that there was like whispers and like, mm. why is she doing this to herself? Why isn't she just happy with what she has? You know, stuff like that. And totally, that's so hard. And I think only people that, have been through what, you know, anybody going through secondary infertility can relate to that. So absolutely. And I always projected that people were judging me for only having one kid, Mm. which is wacky, but that is just where my mind went. Like I felt so inadequate in the world of mothers, right? I was already in this world of mothers. I couldn't get out of it. And so I projected that all these mothers that I was already around were somehow looking at me as less of a mother Mm. and which is why I only felt safe around people who had the same status as me, so to speak, because I just imagined in my head, this is, this was like total fiction, I'm sure. But I just imagined in my head that they were looking down their nose at me because I was kind of looking down my nose at myself. I mean, that's really what it's about, right? Like it was, I was just projecting all the things that I was feeling, the insecurity that I was feeling and the self-doubt that I was feeling. I just like projected it onto everyone else. And yeah. I think that's something that, people don't talk about enough too, is just infertility makes you feel so insecure Mm, as well. You know, I know we've, we talk about how it makes you feel like alone or kind of less than, but like it really fucked my self-esteem up for a little while. Oh my God, exactly. I think that's such an important dimension to talk about. I mean, I have always had self-esteem issues and you know, I mean, what woman hasn't really, I guess what woman hasn't, but like yeah, low like, yeah. eating disorder, like, hello, yeah. you know, it's like, clearly I was a great candidate for infertility because yeah. I already like had so much anxiety. I was so insecure and like a lot of jealousy. Jealousy is something I've always wrestled with my whole life. So it's like, it's kind of what I said initially about how I just like my personality did not bode well for infertility because I already harbored a lot of those feelings as just a person walking around in the world. Yeah. And then the secondary infertility experience just like put it on steroids. Totally. Um, I was so jealous. I mean, I was I was sick with jealousy around yeah, other people's family building experience. Yeah. yeah, I felt that too. Just sick to my stomach. Exactly. And yeah. honestly, I still kind of do have a lot of those feelings. We don't, we don't need to get into that now, but it's like these feelings somehow they, they, they lessen over time, but they still, they still sit, <laughs> they still sit yeah. there. And it's like, just, just the right trigger can, can bring them right back up to the surface for, for a minute. Absolutely. Thank you for saying that. So yes, Abby, who's my partner, who we mentioned was going through infertility at the same time I was. And, um, so we connected, we had actually met a while back before I was even married. I think out here in Southern California, we have a mutual friend and we went to some event, um, and we became Facebook friends, but we never stayed in touch. And then I ended up writing a piece during my secondary infertility journey about, um, I think it was the piece was, I think around like pregnancy after miscarriage, or maybe it was just around secondary infertility. I was doing a lot of blogging at the time. So she read a piece that I posted on Facebook and she reached out to me and said, um, you know, I'm going through this too. If you ever want someone to talk to, and I was like, Oh my God, hells yes. I want someone to talk to. I mean, I didn't really have anyone. So we just started talking and we say, we never, we, we, we've talked every day since, um, we just really, she kind of was default coaching me during that time in a way, because she had been going through it for much longer than I had. Yeah. Um, and like had already been, was already seeing the second opinion, a, doc, a doctor and was just sort of like ahead of me in that process. Right. So she was able to help me make decisions and just definitely feel less alone by, by affirming all the shit that I was experiencing and thinking and feeling. So as we started emerging from 
all of it from, you know, being in the thick of it. Uh, we just were like, we, we both started coaching people almost default. Like we, people started asking us constantly, like my friend's sister is going through this. Like, what do you think she should do? Or like, are you willing to talk to this person about it? Blah, blah, blah. And I just started building relationships with people around their experience and helping talk them through it. Right. I'm also a social worker. I have an MSW. So, you know, I was kind of like bringing that professional experience to, to this default coaching that I was doing as well. And it was all coming together and I didn't even know it was coming together, but at a certain point, Abby and I were like, there is such a need for this. Like we did not really have this for one another Mm -hmm. or we didn't have this when we were going through it. And like, people clearly are desperate for help. They're desperate for guidance. They're desperate for someone who gets it, who's been there, who can relate. They're just desperate for a shoulder to lean on and to help guide. Like somebody who's not necessarily a therapist who has, you know, weekly office hours. And if you're going through a crisis, you need to wait until Tuesday at 4 PM before you can talk about your crisis. Like, you know, or they're not your doctor who clearly as wonderful as doctors are, they just do not have the bandwidth to like help you navigate this. emotionally. I would have killed to have either of you as my coach when I was going through totally the amount of time I no, spent like, crying on the floor, like just no, like, or crying in my car or in the shower and just totally. like, like, I'm so sad. I was so I'm sad. So I'm sad. So or like crying. I mean, for me, one of the hardest things was like my closest friends all getting pregnant while I was going through it. Yes. And just how many times I was like, I burst out crying when they told me in person, like imagine a friend telling you this like wonderful news and you literally burst out crying in their face. Right. <laughs> it's like, if I had had someone to text, just be like, okay, this just happened. Like, please tell me that I'm not the worst person walking this planet. hundred um, percent. Yeah. We've had people in our groups, you know, our support groups for fertility rally, say things like that, or like, you know, I met my sister's baby and I hated every minute of it <laughs> and only say that to you guys. Cause you exactly, get it. Exactly. Exactly. Ew, you just feel so scummy. But on the other hand, you're like, I cannot control what's happening right now. You know, yeah. I cannot, I cannot act happy. I just, I do not have the acting skills totally to do that. So, so basically, I mean, long story short, we just started saying like, we're doing this for so many people and this clearly is a gap. There's a gap in the market, so to speak. So let's, let's make this official really. And we ended up forming an an LLC and becoming in circle fertility, which is a fertility coaching business. And, you know, we started really getting our act together before COVID, but then when COVID hit, everything kind of screeched to a halt because clinics were closing and people were just like, you know, dropping off the radar a bit. So really it was like mid COVID, I would say where we picked up where we left off and started building momentum. And we are just so thrilled to be able to do the work that we're doing. We have lots of clients coming in. There are people who desperately need this. Anybody that we talk to who hasn't even gone through it is like, Oh my God, that sounds like some, that sounds so great. And then people who have gone through it are like, say exactly what you just said, which is, I would have died to have someone like that while I was, if I could have texted you, Sophie, Oh my God, I would have. Exactly. And that's what we do. We you then it's just right. I know. Same here. We always say, we just, we designed our business around providing the service that we so desperately wished we had had going through it. Yeah. Same with, same with ours. Like that's why, you know, exactly. It's the same rally. And yeah, it's so it's, there's been so many wonderful, helpful businesses from what you guys are doing to like people inventing vitamins and products and (laughs) totally in care because of infertility, you know, like there's just the people that were like, I wish I had this when I was going through it. There's so many really cool female founded businesses. So it's so true. And you know, when I was going through it, it was, I think only message boards, like chat rooms, right? Oh, like, yeah. That's all I had. And oh my God, those things are dangerous. I'm not like a Reddit person. So yeah. <laughs> but like very, yeah. I mean, I spent countless hours in these chat rooms. I never really commented, but just like reading post after post after post, right? which is a rabbit hole that no one should have to go down. Totally. Exactly. Well, I'm glad you guys are doing what you're doing. Is there anything else that you want to add before we wrap it up? I don't think so. I mean, it's really just like, it is, it's such a thrill for us to be able to be there for people as they're going through it. It's not a thrill to have to, to have to, you know, experience what people are enduring with them. I mean, this is, 
it's just such a devastating and painful process, but to be able to see their shoulders loosen and their forehead relax, um, as they get the support that they need. I mean, that's the part that's really so rewarding. Yeah. Um, so important. And clearly you guys are so passionate about it. So thank you. For love it. Um, um, t- all right. Tell everybody where they can find you guys and follow you and all that stuff. Yes. You can find us on the gram at Encircle Fertility. Encircle is I-N-C-I-R-C-L-E fertility, all one word. Same for our website. Um, it is encirclefertility.com. And yeah, we're very easy to find. And we would love nothing more than to help anyone, no matter where you are on your path to parenthood. I mean, it could be like just starting out. It could be having gone through many, many failures and disappointments. It really doesn't matter where you are on the path because there's, as you know, it's like, it is such a maze to get through. And that's really what we're doing is we're helping people navigate the maze. All right, everybody. Thank you so much for listening. And Sophie, you are just the best. Thank you for sharing. Guys, definitely check her out at InCircle Fertility for coaching and other services. And don't forget that Fertility Rally Live is this weekend, this Saturday. So it's a virtual event. You don't have to come on Saturday, but definitely purchase your ticket so you have access to everything for the next month. We've got 12 plus hours of programming. It's going to be just incredible. If you want to walk away feeling empowered and supported and educated even more than you are now, you will just love this incredible event. I want to thank all of our speakers and our incredible sponsors too. You can see more at Fertility Rally on Instagram and you can get the tickets through that bio link. You can also get them through my Instagram at infertileafstories. We have tons of giveaways throughout the day and every ticket holder also gets our virtual swag bag, which has hundreds of dollars in discounts and codes for fertility friendly brands. So run, don't walk, get your tickets. And we can't wait to see you guys there. Thanks. Talk to you next time.